comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me, as always, is Mr. Picked It Up at the Store after changing it to delivery, Logan Stump. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we haven't really updated him on that one, but (laughs) that's accurate. Very accurate. What uh, was it easy to switch back to it? I've never done any of those. Yeah. So to be honest or... with you, I, I went to the store and it's just a, you know, I think the kid's probably 18, 16, 18, something like that. And he, um, he, he had been out and was delivering ones to like curbside and stuff. So I guess they have a curbside one. I didn't know. So I just parked and went into the store. I've never been down there to the store anyway. So I get down there and there, the, I think his family was out there cause they had like a bag lunch and they must've been dropping off his lunch. But I, you know, went up to the door. He was like, yeah, can I help you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just here to pick up uh, my kit. And he's like, okay, yeah, just come in. And literally on the rack up there, and I don't know if this is normal during COVID times or, you know, it might be, I don't know. But it's like this huge rack of like all these bags hanging up. And he just grabs it off the off the bag because he's the one that had been emailing me. So, yeah, it was really really easy. Like it took maybe five minutes and I just browsed around a little bit. Uh, I will say that their gift shop's really small. In Orlando City, like so really, really small. Yeah. So it's really weird because I've seen like some of the new stadiums and they've got massive ones, um, which is kind of weird, I think, for Orlando. But so, like, um, usually I'm not sure how Orlando is. I mean, I've been there, but I'm not, I didn't get a chance to look around all that much. Mm-hmm. But like, at U- Phillies is small, but like, they would also have small little like pop up yeah. stands as yeah, you I walk around will. the whole stadium. So. Yeah, they will. Um, I know inside they do have a couple of those pop ups, but because I've seen them taking pictures of the pop-ups. So, but yeah, it was, it was really easy to pick up and got my new kit and really excited about the season getting started. And then you went on a shopping spree. I did. Yeah. Fanatics is dangerous for all of us (laughs) soccer fans. It's that to the point guys where Logan has more Orlando gear than I have union gear. Hey, you got to represent man, but I'm looking to collect some. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. You, you did just get a, a Mr. eBay himself, right? Didn't you get a sporting yeah, Kansas City scarf? I did get a sporting KC scarf. Um, the the reviews over the last two months haven't been great from the seller, so I'm praying that it comes in. It was only four Crossing bucks. Your fingers, yeah, yeah. So, but there's our guest now, Jordan. So we can uh, we're gonna have Drake Hills on from the Tennessean, and he is, and that's part of the USA Today network. We're gonna have him on, and he's gonna co- cover some Nashville SC for us and pretty excited about this team because I think they've got a lot going on that I'm excited to talk to him about. Yeah, let's bring him on. 
The Stateside Soccer Show. Talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, US Men's National Team and more with Logan and Jordan. And we are now welcoming in Drake Hills, uh, Nashville SC reporter for the Tennessean. How are you today, Drake? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate you, Jordan. Logan, uh, it's been... Uh, I think equally, it started off maybe a little bit slow, but now it's kind of evened out in terms of some of the news and, the, and the, really the, shall we say, the the rush of the 2021 season. National SC has been in camp for officially over three weeks, so we're inching closer to April 17th. FC Cincinnati is coming through, and I'm sure a lot of fans will be excited about that one, and I'm excited about getting back to Nashville SC because I am tired of staring at my own walls, <laughs> working from home. So uh, it's, it's gone pretty good. Um, I just turned, I just had a birthday a week ago. So it's, it's, it's been a pretty nice turnaround from a pretty slow January and then and even a slow February. So we're excited. Say happy awesome. birthday. Happy belated birthday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Um, where, where, uh, first question, how long have you been covering Nashville SC and uh, where can everybody find your work at? Absolutely. I've been covering Nashville SC. And when I say Nashville SC, I mean Nashville SC, not MLS, <laughs> not, you know, right. Like I've been, because I, I got here and Nashville SC was actually still in USL. So I've been covering the club for the Tennessee and the USA Today Network uh, since October of 2019. So they were actually concluding their final season in, in USL um, briefly before they started playoffs. So I began to cover guys who I'm sure we'll be talking about later in the show, Daniel Rios, Taylor Washington, Matt LaGrasa, some of the guys who have stayed on from that USL team and have made their way into the MLS ranks. And of course, as far as following my work, of course, Tennessean.com. For those who might get, <laughs> might get a little bit confused, it's T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-A-N.com. Or you could also... Follow me on Twitter, Live Life Drake, uh, and also on Instagram, Drake Hill Soccer, which I just launched in the offseason. That's something I didn't have in the 2020 season. So what we're looking to do on Instagram is doing a lot more one-on-ones with players and, and even possibly some experts in and around the Nashville market wanting to have some more social conversations, get a chance for fans to talk with us, get in contact with me, get to know me a little bit more as the pandemic really hindered that a little bit last season so we're going to be taking a little bit more of a multimedia perspective and as I said Drake Hill Soccer on Instagram and follow Tennessean Sports on Instagram as well. I was going to say you were doing a podcast too weren't you with that's correct that's that's good Logan I'm proud of your research I'm proud of your (laughs) research Uh, shout out to my co-host Nick Gray who as a matter of fact, knows a lot about Nashville SC. He was covering the team when they were in USL and, and knew about the team even you know, as they were moving into USL. And so uh, he knows, uh, of course, about Nashville SC. We're, we're looking forward to getting back plugged in, the Nashville Soccer Podcast, available on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. We're present. We'll be starting the, the season two up pretty soon, uh, shall we say restart. We kind of restarted it already uh but we're going to get to more of the the in-season coverage shortly yeah i was gonna say i was listening to that last episode it was that recap of 2020 and just kind of the rapport between you guys it was fantastic so i'm just 
I, I like the work and uh, I love some of the stuff that I was reading off of uh, what you had written. So, um, but yeah, just getting into, I guess, some of these top of the show questions. Um, I know 2020 was rough for Nashville. It seems like it, it had one of the worst years as a city. Um, you had those storms that came through just before quarantine happens and the pandemic hits. And then you had that, you know, in between you have the pandemic and having to worry about the economy. It's a city that um, banks a lot on the fact that they are a hospitality tourism kind of destination. Yep. Um, and then you guys had that weird bombing incident in the middle of the downtown area. So it was just, it was one after the next, after the next. How would you sum up though, some of the stuff that happened, I guess, on pitch and, and what did it really look like as a fan of Nashville SC trying to watch this team while all this other stuff's going on? Well, I'll start with the on the field uh, perspective because I got a chance to talk with some of the players and most recently was Dave Romney, uh, center back for Nashville SC. He came over from LA Galaxy. And you know, I actually, you know, not to give too much of my story away, but you know, I actually got a chance to write about Dave's perspective on joining Nashville, what that was and how he was able to put together a pretty strong season, whether it's by the numbers, but also uh, in the fact that he was able to become a leader for this team uh, in a more silent and, and example-based manner. And one of the things that wasn't necessarily a part of the story, but in our interview was the fact that, you know, Dave is a guy who is all about professionalism. You know, when the lights are on, when the cameras are on, he is about getting the job done. But he is a guy who likes to have a little bit of fun and likes to just be one of the guys, you know, and that was the least of their worries is not being able to go out to, you know, go out to eat, have team dinners and things like that. But also in a more serious manner is to have that connection with actual fans, have that FaceTime, get a chance to make a difference in the community, whether it's in the community where the future stadium will be in Southeast Nashville, which has a lot of uh, Kurdish community, has a large Hispanic community. Um, and really an international community as well as the black community. So, uh, and, and that's just one area. And when you go and look at the pattern of the tornadoes, as you mentioned, March 3rd, actually, uh, of 2020, it ripped through one of the most impoverished neighborhoods, the black neighborhood in, in Nashville, which is North Nashville. Um, and a lot of those families and those folks were unable to bounce back and they had to veer off and go a different route. They weren't able to, to rebuild their homes. And, and even now uh, they're still struggling to get on their feet. And so Nashville SC players did their best. You know, there was a lot of volunteering, uh, whether it's Taylor Washington, whether it's um, Dan Lovitz, whether any, pretty much every player you can think of on, on Nashville SC, their only attempt to be in the community was during these tragic events, particularly uh the tornadoes uh, during early March of last year, which when you think about it, as you just mentioned earlier, was only some seven or eight days before MLS stopped. And to think that they had to endure what was going on, uh, given that two players with Nashville C had to leave their homes and find another home, as well as the assistant GM, Ali McKay, and then go to Portland, play one of the best teams in MLS, on the road in Providence Park, and then some days after have the pandemic hit and all of a sudden you're back to square one once again. And so it from, from a player's perspective, from an on-field perspective, it was hard to have momentum and it was hard to be able to establish yourself and not keep getting hit with 
the start button. Because when you think about Nashville SC, they did indeed have probably the worst. And, and when I say worst, I'm talking about uh, the intangibles, things that they can't really control, but that obviously affect them. Uh, so they had to hit that start button. And when you think about expansion teams, I think they had the worst start year. They had the worst inaugural year as far as the adversity that they had to, that they had to overcome. Uh, now, in terms of the fans, you know, what it was like to watch this team, it was really tough when I got a chance to speak with a lot of the supporters, whether it's those who are a member of the supporters groups, you know, the Backline Collective, the Roadies, uh, the Assembly, um, even La Brigada de Oro. A lot of these fans found it frustrating because they were so excited. If you go back to February 29th when Atlanta United came to town, 59,069 fans at Nissan Stadium, the home of the Tennessee Titans, Nashville C puts just as much fans, if not actually, if not more in that game. Um, and you could tell the excitement from not just folks who were coming in from all around Tennessee, but folks who have really been in the soccer family in Nashville since really the early 2010s when Nashville C founded the NPSL team. So you had a lot of folks really excited and put a lot of devotion and investment into being season ticket holders and to realize that you weren't going to be able to attend matches until late August. I mean, that, that hurt. And uh, it was, they were worried and they probably still are weary, worried that they cannot find that relationship and build that relationship with the Nashville greater sports community because they have not been able to host fans at their own will and not under a particular capacity. And a lot of folks really took their season ticket plan and pushed it to this season. So many season ticket holders actually um, opted out for the 2020 season. And you didn't really see fans start to pick up in numbers probably until the end of the season going into the playoffs. I remember um, the 3-0 the thrashing of FC Dallas when Daniel Rios put Rito Ziegler in a, in a cycle. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that game, I, there must have been over 3,000 fans. And of course, when Miami came to town for a second time in the playoffs, Randall Leal hits a, you know, just top bins from probably 40 yards out, 35 yards out. Uh, I might be a little bit exaggerative in, in that range, but um, it looked like it from the from the from the press box. He hit it top bins, top left corner, and that was the first time for me since Walker Zimmerman scored in the debut. That was the first time for me that I truly felt the fans, whether it was the roar or it was heckling a ref or a player. Um, that's probably the most memorable moment for me in terms of how the fans were able to engage with the team. So optimistically, I would think that Nashville SC fans will have a lot of this hunger to actually go and support their team in 2021 and maybe not until 2022. Or if you're more of a realist and more of a pessimist, individual, you might be thinking that Nashville C will not be able to jump on track to what it probably would have been if there would if there was not a pandemic. I was going to say they, they um, you know, watching because watching other sports, watching the Titans when they're successful, those fans are passionate. The Predators are there and, you know, that's a very passionate fan base. Um, can you kind of just speak like it, 
has Nashville always been kind of a soccer club? I know I watched back their Dream Together series on YouTube, and when City and all them came in, the European clubs came in, it seems like Nissan was just filled to the brim. Um, is it a soccer town? And then how did that journey from USL go, you know, as they move their way up through USL up to MLS? How did the ownership really get behind that? I would actually consider Nashville as, uh, as far as a soccer town is concerned, more of an, more in its infancy when you talk about professional soccer. Now, its culture is rooted in, you know, collegiate. There's been some collegiate greats to come in, but even some lower level professional soccer in the 80s and 90s, uh, and even in the 2000s going into the early 2010s. But it, when you talk about major league sports, uh, it's still on the rise. I think there's still a lot of folks who have yet to get on the bandwagon. And again, not to cite the COVID-19 pandemic, but Nash LC has the ability, I think, still to use its market to garner interest and not just the sport itself, not just simply winning. Uh, although, as we saw later in the 2020 season, winning has a big, big impact on the fans that are paying attention. I've even seen it in my own stories that a lot of folks really caught on to my coverage uh, in in late October, early November. And then once you got in the playoffs, it was it was we had a big spike. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it was it was it was it's a big soccer town or, or that it's it's legendary or anything like that. I think it's still on the rise. But as far as sports are concerned, and I actually agree with one thing that club CEO Ian Air told me in a conversation he and I had that, you know, it's, it's really all about uh, being consistent and, and making sure you're, you're ready when, when fans are coming late to the party and that, you know, even if you take a look at the Preds in the NHL, if you go back to the early 2000s, late nineties, when they were still trying to get stuff off the ground. Right. I mean, there was, it was a lot of education that came on with that. It was a lot of, of, shall we say, acclimation to mm -hmm. what hockey culture was really about. But just as you have you seen with the Preds, they don't they don't push that huge hockey culture that maybe the Rangers right. or, the, or the Maple Leafs or the Blackhawks or the Bruins or the Penguins that they have to push. They're really the Preds are really all about the experience, right? And whether it's the catfish. And I know that they don't really do that anymore, but um, whereas the catfish are like Tim McGraw coming on the jumbo screen right. when they score, you know, like just things that mean more Nashville than hockey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Nashville SC is going to be doing too. And I think as you get closer to the soccer stadium, it's going to be the largest soccer specific stadium in North America, 30,500 seats, um, just literally adjacent to the historic uh Nashville Fairgrounds racetrack mm -hmm. and so you're going to see probably a lot of that a lot of Nashville and the soccer will follow so I think that's what's going to happen I think that's what's going to make Nashville a soccer city uh so you kind of mentioned it before I was going to ask about that you know opening game right with the 59,000 uh fans and uh that was kind of like a high point for Nashville to start off the season that way. But then, you know, the season shuts down just a few weeks later. Right. Then we get MLS's back, but Nashville, you know, famously had to sit out that tournament due to COVID related issues along with Dallas. Um, 
so it was a while before Nashville could even really see their team again. What when they restarted back up in like August is when they're finally able to play again, and they had to make up some games against Dallas. But right. Um, do you think also maybe having like missing out on that MLS is back was kind of a detriment to the team as well? Cause those all, every one of those games were kind of on national TV um, could have really helped the exposure maybe, but also uh, missed out a chance on, you know, potentially winning a trophy with that as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that a lot, a lot of uh, Nashville, there'd be a little bit of torture, Jordan, if you're trying to say that Nashville <laughs> would have won MLS's back tournament. Um, it's, it's interesting though, because Orlando, they obviously had, you know, incredible form. Um, yeah. And, and Portland had some, and obviously some great form as well. And uh, it's interesting when you take a look at what happened immediately after the fact, when Nashville C gets Atlanta on the road, they're unable to capitalize, which I think, in my opinion, they definitely could have won that game. P.T. Martinez, um, especially the first goal was such a gimme and Walker Zimmerman was, was kind of ticked off at himself um, that he wasn't able to, to uh, chase him down and, and catch Pitsy on the first try. He tried to get him on the second try with a swipe, but Pitsy, you know, he already, he put the goal away at that, at that point. Um, and then he eventually scored the second, but, you know, when you take a look at the MLS's back tournament and the form that probably could have came out of the MLS's back tournament, not saying that it was, you know, Nashville SC was going to be a finalist or semifinalist right. or anything like that. But I think when you take a look at form, you know, obviously, as I mentioned with Orlando, right, spectacular form. Portland was a kind of iffy, but they ended up, you know, doing a pretty good job in the summer, I think. Uh, and some other teams that, you know, Columbus really caught fire. And obviously we saw what they did in 2020. But I think... What I saw from Nashville SC in early September, we probably could have seen that in July. And what that would have been for me is a quicker evolution of the team where you right. would have seen Daniel Rios. You would have seen uh, guys like uh, Hani Mukhtar, Randall Leal, those guys who started to catch some fire as we got into early October, or shall we say, late October, um, and even mid-October, you know, that probably would have happened in September. Just seeing how teams were able to get acclimated, to get back on, get some, get some fitness, to be able to get some, some cohesion with some of their teammates and considering an expansion team. Uh, obviously, Inter-Miami was, was kind of a struggle. I think a lot of folks had bigger expectations for Rodolfo mm -hmm. Pizarro in 2020, but look what happened with Lewis Morgan in 2020. Probably one of the better wingers um, in the Eastern Conference is probably, you know, top 10, in my opinion, um, in MLS, especially in terms of creating on his own. I think you would have seen that earlier with Hani Mukhtar and Randall Leal. And what that would have done, in my opinion, is put a lot of pressure on teams like Orlando, who is in that, you know, phase one group with Atlanta and Nashville. And, you know, I think you would have seen them a much quicker evolution of Nashville SC in their first season. And who knows what would have happened at the end of the season and obviously in playoffs. Um, so it was hurtful off the field, but I think it had bigger impact on Nashville on the field. 
I was going to say, when you look at their fixture list, they didn't really lose much after. I mean, they lost those first two against Atlanta and Portland, but after that, when you look at the fixture list, they they lose kind of right out of the gate coming back first couple of weeks. But after that, I mean, it's wind draw, wind draws. I mean, it's just they, they did a nice job to kind of collect their feet after not having a preseason. And I know that MLS's back was insane, too, because you had – the whole social justice issues going on. You yep. had people that were getting quarantined. They were trying to figure out how the league was going to work, how these games were going to shift around, fixtures being announced. Um, it just seemed like it was all a perfect storm. And kind Wait, of at one, at one point, sorry, yeah. Logan, at no, one point, it's like that might have been all we would have got, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, that, that was a realistic thing that if we couldn't start back up in the markets, it could have just been that cup. Yeah, but and one thing I will say though about how the season really transpired and how, um, and 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 how matches were were back implemented <laughs> for for Nashville, it's it's hard to say. Oh, they would have lost even more because if if you take take a look at you know what really happened, I mean they played two games because they didn't play in the MLS's back tournament you just have two games. It's, it's, it's not like they, you know, it would have been tough. I think if they played an MLS's back tournament and then MLS was not able to restart the league. In right. Conference. Right. Because I think you would have seen what we saw at the end of September and early October with this national SC team, you would have seen that in MLS's back tournament. You would have seen some of those promising moments. You would have seen uh, even uh, Alistair Johnston, who was in my opinion, the best COVID product you know i know that may that might sound a little bit off but that technically was what alistair johnson was he was not in the picture in the right back spot a rookie out of wake forest right um canadian youth in there somewhere next thing you know he's a starting right back for the rest of the season and then after the season he jumps into canada's uh january camp so i mean he's a guy who you know, did absolutely everything he could and it paid off once the season restarted again. You probably would have seen that in MLS's back tournament, especially with, you know, how we we all saw how, you know, they were playing games at like eight in the morning. Then you have yeah. some some games happen at like 10 Eastern, right? Just because of the heat and the quick turnaround of games and injuries, you probably would have seen Alistair get into that side with Nashville. And there probably would have been a lot more rotation with Eric Miller. Um and maybe in some more form- formations. And you would have seen some guys thrive in different shapes for Gary Smith. You probably would have seen some more goals. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's tough, right? When you, it's That's a good point when you talk about, you know, what if Nashville wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to restart in, in late, mid to late August. Uh, but it would have been tough if they played an MLS's back tournament. But I again, I don't think that Nashville would have had more angst if they not only did not play an MLS's back tournament, but they also were not given the chance to play um, in the restart. Having said that, economically, that would have been an absolute farce for the club. I'll just end it on that. That would have been tough <laughs> not to sell right. any tickets, not to have any, <laughs> yeah. any, any, uh, any broadcast, you know, money coming in. So, 
so kind of moving on into, and we do this by just doing attack and just kind of move our way back. Um, there was a quote, I know it was in your article and it was in everybody's, it seems that, that we're trying to focus on additions this off season. Um, and it was talking about Mike Jacobs. The quote was, it's similar to what I promised to Gary from year one to year two in USL. Our goal was we'd never be in a situation where we struggled to score goals again. And they, you know, they're sitting with 24, they, you know, because they don't allow anybody to score because they're so sound defensively, um, it, it kind of goes and moves into that. Are they following through on their promise? And then what have they done this offseason that you've seen where they've been striding towards, you know, making those promises um, and keeping those promises? Well, I think obviously, as you've seen later in the season, they double down, right? They get mm -hmm. a guy who's from Europe and Jean Ducatis. Right. A guy who did pretty well on loan in the French League with Dijon. And he comes in, not really fit, not really at his sharpest, still able to score some goals at the end of the season, still hasn't played a full 90 minutes. Then you think domestically as well. When you take CJ Sapong, who you know didn't have a real electric year with Chicago, battled some injuries for a lot of 2020, but his rap sheet, you know, and his his resume alone puts him in contention. And so you get a domestic guy, you get an international guy. Next thing you know, you doubled up on your essential forwards. So, um, and it's interesting though, because as they're doing that, they continue to string along Daniel Rios, <laughs> right? right? Not only do he, he gives you back-to-back -back 20 goals, or at least he, he puts up back-to-back -back 20 goals, right? Um, first with North Carolina and then with, with, with Nashville and USL, then he comes in battle some groin injuries late in the season after not really being a first choice striker um, to begin the season. He's scoring goals, probably had the best goal. Well, I think it's clear cut. He had the best goal from any striker um, or any forward. I'll just say any striker for Nashville SC last season, as I mentioned, the Rito Zyklers uh, dust up. And so he's, even though Nashville is still adding at the top, Daniel Rios is still rising. And that's a guy who I truly think is going to stick around more than other guys. And I think he has a lot larger of a window than other guys do. Um, not saying that his expectations, that the club's expectations for him are lower. But what I am saying is that they have truly bought in, obviously, as they, as they announced um, not too long ago with Daniel Rios has a contract extension. So his window is a lot, is a lot bigger and they have bought in much more to him than they have with Baji or even Abu Dunladi or um, even Jean Ricardis. Uh, and, and, and CJ Sapong is around too, but they're going to have to do something with Cadiz If he doesn't, if, if, if he does well for the first half of the season, they're going to have to buy out his loan. They're going to make, they have to have to make the permanent deal. Uh, but if not, then he's going to depart you know, come this summer. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in these first couple of months, but it all points to Nashville SC and Mike Jacobs promise that they're not going to be as, uh, shall we say as minimal in front of goal as they were in 2020. Yeah. I was going to ask you about those, uh, you know, those strikers and all the attack. Um, so it sounds to you, it sounds like what you're saying here is that, uh, most of these players would still be on the squad going in, right? Like there's a lot of depth being added. Um, how do you think they find time to, you know, fit all of these players in without having, um, you know, like uh, there's a lot of 
a lot of players in the attack having to vie for these spots, but only, right. you know, like a few spots to go around. So how do you think they kind of divvy those out? Um, you know, so Pong is, is getting up there in age as well. So he might be more of uh, an off the bench guy at this point, but did you have any uh, suspicions on who would probably start at the striker spot? Uh, well, I, st- I still think that Cadiz is still your first choice. I mean, you don't bring in a DP, whether he's on loan or it's a permanent, you don't bring a guy of that caliber and let him sit the bench. Obviously they didn't think that when they were trying to sign him. So John Cadiz, look, the guy is, is he has all the, the upside in the world because he had all this adversity going for him last season. So he was still able to score, as I mentioned, um, and be able to put Nashville into that seven spot when scoring um, uh, no, at the end of last season against Orlando. And then, no, yeah, he had, a, I think he had a pretty tough playoff stint, particularly against Toronto, but, you know, he still is your first choice guy. And as you mentioned, CJ is 32 years old, but I think with a guy of, of CJ's caliber, he's, he's as fit as they can be. He's probably as strong as Cadiz is physically. I think he gives you that attribute that I don't think Baji and, and Rios have, uh, although I would say Baji's pretty strong. But uh, I think between Baji and, and uh, John Arcadis, they're probably the quickest. You know, when you talk about playing a ball in behind and seeing who's going to have a foot race with whatever center back is, is marking them. Um, so I think Cadiz is the first choice. It's just there's a lot of variables with Baji because, you know, since he had that hamstring injury against D.C. United on September 21st, wasn't able to really get back. And same thing um, with with Sapong. Obviously, he had some some different kind of injuries throughout 2020. And then with Rios, going back to my earlier point, the guy had a groin injury and was still able to make some progress, albeit, you know, that wasn't as significant as the Baji injury. So it's to me, it's Cadiz, then it's Baji, and it's Rios, then it's Sapong simply because Sepong hasn't really done anything for Nashville SC yet. That list and that depth chart will probably change in about, let's, let's give it two weeks. <laughs> so, now, what, I, I, now, I don't know who's going to be up top, but I certainly think that CJ is probably going to have something to say about being the fourth striker on the depth chart um, once they start playing friendlies. And that starts uh, Saturday against Louisville City. So I was going to say that it's funny because Jordan and I have done a lot of these now, and it seems like tens and nines have just been uh, hard to find. I mean, people don't have really any depth, and if they do have depth, it's scary depth. Although it's scary in a bad way. Um, whereas I was looking at this list, and the the depth they have is just insane to me. I mean, having five, it looks like guys that they had listed for depth up in that front spot. Um, kind of speaking towards the front of the attack. Uh, I know that I, I want to say you you in your podcast uh, called Randall Leal MVP last year uh, yeah. besides Walker Zimmerman. Yeah. Um, yesterday he plays with Costa Rica. Um, I think it was 70 minutes or something like that. Um, he's probably clear cut favorite, obviously, over on that side. Uh, and then they bring in on the other side, the other winger, uh, Rodrigo Pinero. Can you speak a little bit to the wingers and how much success they can have going forward in this attack? Well, Rodrigo Pinheiro is a guy that they absolutely did not have last year. So that's that's 
probably the most marquee signing, even probably more important than Jean de Cadiz. And that might be a hot take for some. But when you have David Akam, who clearly was just straight up beaten out by pretty much everybody, uh, including Abu Danladi for that right wing spot at times. Um, then you bring in Alex Muil, who had the probably best work weight work rate, excuse me, in MLS as far as attackers are concerned. Uh, but Alex Muil's not going to really set up any goal-scoring chances for Cadiz or Rios or, or Baji when he's healthy, even Mukhtar. I mean, you know, he's going to start a counter. Alex Muil is a counter-attack starter. He's going to win possession. He's going to make a tackle on somebody, i.e. Uh, <laughs> I remember in the playoffs where he had a pretty, uh, pretty nasty one against uh, uh, Rodolfo Pizarro. He's the guy who's going to dust up. He's going to track back and mark your opposite winger, or he's going to make sure that your back three or back four or back five, whatever you play, is going to be under some serious harassment. Uh, but they do not have a playmaker on the right side, and that's what they need. That's what Nashville SC needed. So, yeah, Pinero's 21 years old, little guy guy, comes in, has played domestically in his own country before. This is his first time truly stepping out of Uruguay and trying to make an impact, trying to take that next step in his career um, outside of outside of his own country. So I think, listen, he, he's got professional experience. He's the most direct uh, player that they can have on that side of the field. He'll match, in my opinion, Leal's mentality to try and go forward and trying to play direct. But I think different than Leal, I think what Rodrigo can do is probably – uh, connect more with whoever's up at, at the striker position, or he can get his own goals. We'll, we'll see if he will have the ability to, to score his own goals um, and, and, and create for himself. Now, I, I think that's a little less of a competitive battle, uh, especially if he performs. I think he'll, he'll, he has, in my opinion, the leverage to beat out Will simply just because of his attributes. Um, and if he, is able to be acclimated into MLS style of play. I think he'll be your first choice right winger and have uh, Leal on the opposite side, Mukhtar as your number 10. And, you know, just for conversation's sake, let's just say John Ducati's up, up at the number nine spot. Now, I wanted to connect this topic with uh, the topic that we talked about before as far as, you know, who's going to be the striker up front. But we've all, I, at least I've been speaking within the context of Gary Smith's first choice, 4 2 3 1 shape. I've seen, and I think everyone else who's watched Nashville C has seen that even a 3-5-2 does well for Nashville. Um, take a look at the Houston game, especially given the fact that, uh, you know, guys were hurt, guys were suspended, guys were, you know, not fit. Jandra Cadiz, Hani Mukhtar, guys like that, right? One's going in, one's coming out, but that, that was one of the best offensive performances at Houston mid-October. And I think for me, what I saw, I, I, I want to say it was at home to Dallas October 20th. Um, I could be wrong, but I, there was a match where they had a 3-5-2 and they had Rios and Cadiz up front. And they did absolutely amazing, in my opinion. So... 3-5-2, I think, is another shape that you can play where two of those guys up front will be able to play. Now, I'm not sure what's going to happen with those winger spots because Leal, 
I think Gary Smith eventually coached him into <laughs> tracking back a little bit more, right. but um, might be a situation where he might be put on put in on the inside of that of that five and same thing with Piero and you'll have Lovitz and uh, you have Lovitz and Alistair Johnson as your wingbacks. You have Zimmerman, Romney, and probably someone like uh, Jilalani Baba as, as your three center backs. Um, you have Godoy and Dex in that five as well. And then you'll have, you know, those two strikers up front. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting situation because now more than ever, a shape change is probably at the forefront of the conversation. I was going to say that I feel like they have, they have the stability defensively to do something like that. I mean, when you were talking about um, Alistair earlier, and I know that you were raving about him as just being a guy that came out of literal nowhere um, and, and played really well. Um, but, it, you know, I, I think, when you look at their attack, it goes kind of through that middle, right? It's like that spine that goes up through that middle. Can you speak a little bit to, uh, I guess, Dax uh, McCarty and Anibal Godoy, um, just kind of what they offer as they go up from the back uh, in that midfield? I know Dax is a huge leader in that midfield. Can you speak a little bit to their success and what they provide? Well, they just – they, I mean, from the jump, when, when Dax came in after the trade, um, from from Chicago. I mean, it was one of his first press conferences. He said, I'm actually excited to play with Anibal because before we were teammates, when we played against each other um, in, at the international level, Dax said that he was always, uh, you know, complimenting how well Anibal plays the game and how well he thought that they would play together if they were ever to play on the same team. And you saw, you've seen that and how, you know, Anibal is just this incredible destroyer. I mean, I thought he was going to be, you know, because I never saw Anibal in person before. And he's a lot bigger and he's, you know, not like big in terms of, you know, obesity or anything like that. Right. He's, he's strong. Right. I mean, he's a right. strong six. Like he's a strong destroyer. And he has the height. He has the size. He has the mentality and the technical ability to make sure that he's, he's threading passes together, but he's really protecting that back four. And that allows Dax to really focus on a lot of uh, direct play and, and, and putting in passes, whether he's given Hani Mukhtar some touches or he's allowing to play a ball out to Randall or out to you know, Muil or out to Alistair and to play the ball down the line so that they can um, you know, be able to break lines that way and serve a ball into the box. So, you know, passing accuracy, you know that Godoy is – like what 95 96 percent you know passing accuracy um with the caveat of you know a lot of his sideway or backwards passing but um same thing with Dex he's up there too right and but the problem is right now and if you ask anybody that pays attention to this Nashville team Brian Anunga's there right he comes in from Charleston Battery is another guy who I think impressed not having played an MLS before you know 24 years old Cameroon um, native and you know he's done well to get acclimated in MLS but right now there's not really a tandem that you can put in there you can't you can say you can put Matt LaGrasse in there you can say that you can put I don't know if if Irokoze Donaciano from Virginia comes in and, and 
and joins as a rookie and, and is able to do something as like an eight to match with Brian Anunga as a six, maybe, but you don't really have any depth. It's your thinnest point in the team right now. It used to be the striker position in 2020, and now it's a central <laughs> midfield position. They trade away Derek Jones, and they get a lot of gam uh, for him. I believe it's 200,000. Um, and they, they so they trade away Derek Jones, who had some spurts, but he just – he just wasn't uh, fitting in for, for Nashville. Uh, that sums up in, his in time in Philly, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I, think, I think it's fair to say Derek was a lot younger, at least, uh, you know, at least from, 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 his, from his career rap sheet is concerned. But, you know, he, comes, he came into Nashville with a little bit more experience mm-hmm. and, than he did when he, when, he, when he was with Philadelphia. And you know, it just didn't pan out. So they get a lot of gam for, for Derek Jones, and that's just one less body that they have in central midfield. Um, now, I would like to see Nashville probably add to that, find a box-to-box midfielder who can back up Godoy and, and McCarty, someone who preferably is around the same age as Derek, you know, around that, uh, you know, 23 to 25 range um, to find a guy who still has his legs under him but has some experience, uh, preferably in MLS. Uh, so you mentioned Dax there, uh, he's been traded all around. So when is he going to be traded from Nashville and where is he going? Uh, I don't <laughs> think, uh, I think if you want to have a successful uh, first five years in the league, you better make sure Dax McCarty retires as a Nashville C player. <laughs> and I don't, you know, look, Dax, the dude just has a jetpack, man. Like, yeah, he's, he's still going to get his miles in. Now I think now with, I don't know how U S open cup, selection is going to work out or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I think as you actually, if MLS truly moves back into a 34 match fixture list, I think you're going to see a little more rotation and, and Dax not playing every 72 hours that he did uh, for most of last season. Um, but he still is the heartbeat of the team. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. I've always admired Dax, you know, cause he, he, he pretty much goes everywhere, fits in and uh, becomes a leader at each team he's, he's been at. And it's just his versatility. I mean, he, yeah. he's not, you know, obviously he started as a guy who, who got forward a lot more when he was younger, you know, played a little bit more of an eight role. And then he, he's found himself into, you know, the Mark Nobles of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for all you West Ham pretty good. fans out there. <laughs> pretty good. And, uh, you know, <laughs> But he's he's mastered threading passes together, mm-hmm. protecting the back line, and also just being, uh, you know, for, for for those who don't know who Mark Noble is, just think of more of Andre Pirlo. So, um, moving on to, I just want to ask about Mukhtar here as well. You know, he was the first DP signed by um, Nashville back in like 2019. Yep. Uh, he had four goals, four assists on the season. Um, wh- what does he uh, mean to this team? And how much better do you think he can become in year two for Nashville? I think he can become twice as good as what he was in 2020, just clearly based off the fact how when you come in, he comes in from IF Brownby. And, you know, look, I mean, the Danish league is <laughs> the Danish league is the Danish league, but it's not MLS and it's not America. And it's certainly not the South. So you talk about climate, you talk about playing style, um, fitness at the end of the season was a problem for honey. Um, 
you talk about the start and stop from preseason in January and February, then you have another preseason in May and June, then you have another preseason in late July going into August. So the start and stop, getting rid of that, I definitely think will be a big plus. Having experience what MLS play is like, particularly uh, guys kicking at you and really the the, um, the truncated play at some point in time in that middle passage of the field in most MLS matches. And then on top of that, just having the experience and knowing what it's like being in MLS um, and know what it's like living in America, know what it's like living in Nashville. I think all of those things getting out of the way for Hani uh, will be a huge plus for him because without him, I think there's a, a lot less, uh, not only set piece creativity, because you think about all the set pieces, that have been scored for Nashville at one point, I think they were leading with eight set piece goals. So you think about who's at the beginning of those set pieces, who's kicking those. Um, so that's one thing. Number two, if you lose Hani, I don't think you have someone who can play off of a striker as fluidly as Hani can. And then of course, who's able to kind of be able to help out Dex and control the tempo when they're in possession. Uh, I think all of those factors Hani does well, as opposed to being the penalty kick specialist, um, a guy who's going to be the one taking kicks from the spot. So you know, all of those factors are on Hani's shoulders. And if he can be even slightly better than what he was in 2020, I think it bodes well for Nashville. Yeah, so moving back into the defense, uh, their most important piece, the best defender in MLS um, what makes Walker Zimmerman so good and how does that leadership help that back line? Oh man, I'm going to just start spitting things out because I don't think I can <laughs> make this sound. Uh, I don't, if I were to be able to take my time to write an essay on it, I think it sound better. But look, aerial duels, it's not a lot of guys beating Walker Zimmerman. Right. Right. Um, so you've got aerial duels. You've got really your string puller from the back. Nashville C didn't really do to a T what they said they wanted to do in the beginning, which is build out of the back. Um, but he's the guy who starts that. So you have those two. You have a guy who's going to be a set piece danger, particularly if you're getting any foul within 25 yards of goal. And you're and and, and especially if it's indirect, your target is Walker Zimmerman. So you have that. Uh, you have a guy who has the ability at times to even kind of like a big man getting a rebound uh, off the glass and taking it full court, full 94 feet for a bucket. That's that's Walker Zimmerman. That's <laughs> a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's Walker Zimmerman. So um, and I think on top of that, you have a guy who is just defensively sound. He just does what a center back is supposed to do. Um, and he does it really well. So. And in particularly when you have guys who are a lot more physical, right? You have some some teams who prefer the more of the elusive, speedy uh, number nine, or you have some guys who want that big, tall, physical number nine. Walkerman can take a physical number nine and and be equally as as tough and equally as strong. So, um, look as you mentioned, MLS Defender of the Year. Uh, MLS best 11 for another year, I believe it was consecutive. So look, the guy's one of the best players in MLS. Um, 
I think he may possibly be out of the team uh, occasionally because he's going to be with the national team. I think he deserves that. I think Walker Zimmerman should, you know, you got, you know, CONCACAF Nations League, you've got uh, World Cup qualifiers, you got Gold Cup. You've like, th there's, there, there's need for Walker Zimmerman in the U.S. men's and national team camp. So uh, bad for Nashville in that sense, but also good that when he is not being selected, that he's going to be the reason why you're going to continue having the, you know, 0.96 goals allowed per match, um, you know, the, how many clean sheets, like all of those statistics, you know, a lot of that has to do with Walker Zimmerman. Uh, so the, the next question I have here on the defense is why other than Walker Zimmerman was their defense so effective? And do you think they could actually be better defensively this season? I think you have to take a look at the low block that they always, you know, started with, you know, from, from the first game gets Atlanta all the way to the end of the season, you know, they're, they're, they would have, you know, once Randall Leal and once, whether it was Abu Dunlady or especially Alex Mawil, once he got in in September, it was two banks of four, you know, once the team even, you know, crept into the middle third, you had all, all 11 guys, you know, in front of, you know, behind the ball. So, uh, you know, just the particular tactical strategy that Gary Smith instilled uh, into this, into this system, into this team, that's a problem for a lot of teams. Uh, and on top of that, I think, given that you have guys who are willing to be physical and willing to take in challenges. We talked about Annabelle Godoy, even Dax can jump in on a challenge. Um, at one point, Dax McCarty, as a matter of fact, in a conversation he and I had um, going into a late October match against uh, New England, he said that Brian Anunga is one of the best ball winners he's ever played against or played with, excuse me, Brian Anunga an MLS rookie is one of the best ball winners that Dax McCarty, one of the most storied MLS players in the league at the moment has ever played with. Like that's, that's the type of, that's the type of personnel that Nashville SC has. Um, and when you have guys who individually are capable of playing like that, and the shape is also destined for them to play like that, it's really frustrating. Now I want to say in terms of, in terms of improving, I think a lot of those early goals won't happen when, as I mentioned earlier, the Pitti Martinez um, gets in behind for his second goal against Atlanta. Uh, even the first goal, both goals for Pitti Martinez. I don't think those goals happen. Uh, and now Pitti is no longer in MLS, but you know you get the point. Um, and then on top of that, I think they do a lot better with uh, set pieces. Um, I think they do a lot better with not giving up any silly fouls, um, and look, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the games where I saw teams, you know, scoring multiple goals against them, like you know, obviously we saw you know Sporting Kansas City, that was tough, right? Because you see Alistair Johnson get sent off for a second foul. Walker Zimmerman is not 100% fit in that match. Um, you see Orlando in the first couple of bouts. Um, I I just don't think. I think naturally Nashville C gets better defensively this year, simply because they're no longer an expansion team. And the better that Alistair Johnson thinking now that I'm talking with you guys, first game against Columbus at Matt free, um, he and Walker's Alistair and Walker Zimmerman have a little bit of a miscommunication. 
on the sideline. Uh, Columbus takes the ball down, goal, right? I, I, I think as Alistair gets more, uh, he settles in more to his, to his role as a starting right back, I think those goals don't happen anymore either. So I think there's a lot of, whether it's rookie mistakes or whether it's expansion year mistakes, I think a lot of those just naturally go away in 2021. That's a scary thought. <laughs> That's a really scary thought for the rest of the league, just defensively um, coming in and trying to learn on the fly and doing it at that pace was just unbelievable. Um, we had a question come in from Twitter and it's Jerry from Twitter said or asked what under the radar signing other than uh, Pinheiro has the most impact this season. Are you talking about Nashville SC? Yes. Ooh, I would say that it's not a, signing it's a return for Luke Hawkinson I mean guy gets a bag of goals on probably one of the more struggling USL teams with Charlotte Independence last year um, and if you look at Luke Hawkinson's highlights he's a guy who starts out wide but he loves cutting inside he is to me a, more of a second striker type of guy he's not really an out and out left mid um, to me he's a guy who likes to cut in he's able to um He's not a tweener, right? He's not some guy who's going to get pushed off the ball. And uh, I think Luke Hawkinson, the club's high on him. I made sure that I kept, you know, some tabs on him because although he was he was selected a little bit further down in the 2020 Super Draft, he's a guy I think that has proven already that when he gets minutes, he's going to do something. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, equal to Leal or, or Pinheiro or even Muil, um, but he's somebody who I think can do a little bit of damage. I still haven't seen enough from Handwala Boana, uh, obviously a guy who they traded uh, Jimmy Madronda for from Seattle. So, um, but I, I think my choice would be Luke Hawkinson. All right. And our final question that we always ask everybody is what would make a successful season for Nashville SC? Because, you know, they, they started out an expansion team. Uh, we had them missing MLS's back. They come back, they make the playoffs, which, you know, took Toronto however many years to make their first playoffs. Orlando just made their playoff for the first time last year as well. So is it making the playoffs? Is it progressing further in them this year? Because uh, they made the upset over Toronto last year. What what would be a successful season for, for Nashville SC? It's, I mean, it's, it's hard not to think that it's going to be a cop-out, but I guess it kind of is, but just getting back to the playoffs. I mean, not only getting back to the playoffs, I should say, getting back to the place that they were in the playoffs, Eastern Conference semifinal. I think mm -hmm. if I were to pick one, it is getting to the Eastern Conference final. And I think that in order to do that, they're, I don't think they're going to be able to skid by with a seven seed or a six seed. I think being one of the yeah. top, I think being – I think being fourth or fifth in the Eastern Conference is a successful regular season. And of course, taking that, let's say, taking that fourth seed and reaching the Eastern Conference final MLS Cup, that is a successful season for Nashville SC. Big talk there for Nashville SC. Let's, let's go. I would love to see them in there. I was rooting for them last year, you know, over some of those teams. Uh, would have been great to see them. Uh, yeah, I mean, make it just there. just think about some of the. I mean, obviously, it was. Listen, uh, although Toronto FC, look, they were again, they were the two C, but look, Philadelphia Union, it was hard not to, 
just appreciate what they did, Supporter Shield winners, and, and mm-hmm. they did incredibly. Obviously, they didn't really have much of an impact in, in MLS Cup playoffs, but uh, looking at some of the other teams, I mean, Orlando obviously was really hot, um, and, and, and Columbus Crew, of course, um, coming in. Now, when, y'all look, when I look at the Eastern Conference after that, whether it's Red Bulls, whether it's New York City FC, I think Nashville can be at that caliber next season. Mm-hmm. I think they can be just as good as New York, any new, either New York team or better than those New York teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, the biggest surprise for me was how the Revs kind of like popped up out of nowhere yep. um, at, in, in, in MLS Cup playoffs. But because <laughs> when I think about how they play, it's probably as, as, as similar as you'll find in, in the MLS, how Bruce Arena uh, set up that team from last year. So, yeah, I, I think being better than New York, whether it's Red Bulls or NYCFC in 2021, uh, gets them into that top five uh, in the Eastern Conference. So we'll see if, if MLS truly plays 34 games. We'll see what happens. You know, there's 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 runs, there's there's form, there's injuries. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned earlier, there's like five bajillion international competitions, <laughs> competitions going on. Yeah. So um, we'll see how how all of that affects what Nashville C does this season. Well, uh, thank you, Drake, for jumping on. Did you want to plug your stuff one more time for everybody? Yeah, man. Follow me on Twitter, please. Live life, Drake. Talk to me. I like talking back. Drake Hill Soccer on Instagram. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be using uh, Instagram as a platform to where we can really delve into what's being done and what's going on behind the scenes for Nashville see this year. But of course, Tennessean.com, T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-A-N.com. Tap in with your boy. We are trying to have some fun this year, more fun than we had in 2020. All right. And that was Drake Hill's. Nashville SC reporter for the Tennessean at Live Life Drake on Twitter. You can also follow his Insta account, Drake Hill Soccer. And he's also got that plugged in Nashville podcast. Um, so, uh, Logan, I'll, I'll pitch it over to you first, as I like to do, so I can steal some of your answers. Um, what was your thoughts uh, of this club after speaking with Drake? And so it's it's always hard. Jordan and I were talking about this off show yesterday. I think it was about like you get so high on these teams and uh, come back for the season prediction show because I think some of us will calm down a little bit. But that being said, I do think this club, you might be looking at a club that's going to be fighting for those top four spots. One of the top four spots, I think, um, depending on how New England do. I, I'm just not sold on New York's being ahead of them. Like he said, I think they're a much better team now. And if they can figure out this striker position, they've got a really deep team. I don't think teams are going to score on this team, uh, which is really scary when he said that they were probably going to be better defensively, which is a terrifying thought, I think, for the rest of the league because of how good they were. And I do think he's right. I think if health, you know, obviously everything's to do with health. Like if, if they stay healthy, if they can stay on the pitch, I think that you're looking at a team that can do this consistently um, and they're just going to get better in their second year with, with Alistair being his second year. And I think he was like a wing back or even a winger before he was slotted back into that right back spot. Um, so I think you're looking at a team that just got stronger and if they can add some of these pieces that he was talking about, 
uh, if the kid from Charleston Battery plays really well, because that's some pretty high praise from Dax. Um, that could be really helpful uh, in that midfield and kind of commanding that midfield, especially if they go back into that three back um, kind of formation. I think that you're looking at a team that, honestly, I, I think that reading through and going through some of the stuff, I think this team could be actually pretty good. So. Yeah, I, I think the defense is the big takeaway and also the added attacking talents. You know, they have like a whack load of att- attacking talent now when it was their weakest spot oh, before. Yeah. And you have uh, this defense, if they do get better, or even if they don't get better, you know, how good they were last year. We've always talked about how MLS doesn't have really great defenses, but this is this is one of those where I always wonder why LAFC moved on from Walker Zimmerman anyway, I guess because – they got an offer they couldn't refuse when it comes to Tam Gam, thank you, ma'am, uh, money. And that is <laughs> that is uh, stunning because he had just won like, you know, like a defender of the year that mm-hmm. year too. And then he gets sent over to Nashville. He anchors that back line. You have Dax, who's been around uh, all over the place. Um, if there's ever a journeyman trophy, it should be named after Dax. He goes everywhere. He he becomes the he became the captain at a few of those places and you know just became uh, a leader and so you have the this is what i liked about when i when i started hearing about nashville putting this team together and i looked at inner miami's team i thought nashville has the better setup you know nashville went out and got walkers everman they got dax they're bringing mls talent uh that's familiar with the league that are caliber players and then like high caliber players and then, you know, bringing in some of those younger players like the Leals and uh, Mukhtar, you know, and, and it really rounded out the roster quite well. And, you know, we, like Drake said, we didn't really see it getting a chance to get going due to COVID like in the second week, then you get uh, them missing MLS's back then they're going to take a bit to get back up to form because everybody else was at MLS back already and had been training and had been playing. And then when they finally got going, it it was great. Yeah. They were a seven seed, but really if you put the whole season together and they have a full run of it this year, there's no reason to say they can't get fifth. But what you said, Logan is true. After every one of these shows, I feel like I say this team's making the playoffs and, you know, except for two of them, probably. Right. I think I said dynamo, definitely not. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I think I said a few other teams probably weren't, but at this point, I think I have more teams in the playoffs that can make it. So I'm going to have to really sit down when we do the prediction show and really draw a line in the sand yeah. and say, this is where we finish. But I think Nashville definitely has a spot for fifth. What you have to worry about is the resurgence of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Columbus and how good New can be. Toronto's a question mark. Philly's a question mark, which we're going to preview next episode. And then we have uh, Revs, I think, is a question mark. You know, Revs are what handed the union the supporter shield. Yeah. You know, they played them like three or four times and, and beat them like every time except for the time it mattered in the playoffs. And they got on a hot run. Right. But that hot run might put them fifth. It might put them sixth or seventh, and it leaves mm-hmm. a spot for Nashville if their defense is great. And now they have the attacking talent. Uh, I mean, really, when you can have Sapong on your bench and you can have uh, all this, all these attacking players, 
I mean, you got Rios who was successful yeah. in their US. I mean, 20 goals per it like that's kind of odd to me. And, and then you got Cadiz that's in there that could be really good. Um, I, I think it, you're right. Like this, the amount of depth, they're going to figure out somebody successful in that spot. And that makes them even more threatening. And I do think that all their younger guys step forward a little bit. So that's terrifying. Um, but like and, and Gary said, Smith, what, what I like about what they've done mm-hmm. with Gary Smith is that they gave him the job in the USL. Mm-hmm. He came up. Uh, people would have been like, why didn't you get an MLS coach? Well, guess what? Gary Smith was an MLS coach. He won MLS cut with Colorado Rapids in 2010. We talked about that on the Rapids podcast. So he's familiar with this. He's familiar with some of the players that made the yeah. jump from USL and you know, they're off and running. We uh, also didn't even, worry about the sophomore slump here. Yeah. We also didn't even mention Ian Ayer, who is from Liverpool and he was Liverpool's CEO at one point. He is their CEO at Nashville. Mm-hmm. So he obviously has been in successful places where he knows how to build successful teams. The fact that their first objective and no lie, if you go back and look at their dream together series on YouTube, their first objective on the board was, Hey, let's get to a list together of the top 11 players that we think of each position. And let's go see if we can get one of them. And Walker Zimmerman was one of those people. And they, they went in, they, they did offer a good amount of money, but in the end that makes that team so much better. Um, And like you said, Jordan, we're getting ready to preview some teams, but I don't just don't see where they're better. The only one that isn't really um, on the list or sorry, the one that the ones that aren't on the list of teams that I don't think are better than them. Obviously you look at Montreal is not going to be better. United's not DC United is not going to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either New York city team or New York city or New York Red Bulls are better yes, than them. Thank you, Drake. I, I've been banging that drum on NYCFC right, right yeah. now, and I'm right. going to continue. Yes, keep banging time. it. Uh, <laughs> Chicago and Inter, like th- those aren't. Yeah, those aren't. I mean, teams. look, Miami was already worse than Nashville yes. last year, and right. I feel like they're not gotten any better. Right, bringing in Ryan Shawcross, the Matweedy question mark that we still don't know yet about yet. Because when we're recording this, who knows right. when we'll find out? But as we're recording this, still no sanctions or anything on, on the on that situation. So, uh, who knows, but yeah, that was, um, I think we can kind of cut it off there. We we will have that prediction show launching. If everything times right, that will be launching on Friday, the day the season kicks off. You might also be able to catch Logan and I on YouTube live streaming Houston dynamo, uh, San Jose quakes, obviously not showing the game, but our commentary on it as we watch, and the stuff we're seeing and, and hopefully it's a good game, but it's the first game of the season. That might be the game we do. Um, That would be on ESPN plus. If you were wanted to follow along, you could have ESPN plus in one window, YouTube in another and come hang out with us. But uh, other than any other thoughts, Logan, before we head out of here. No, I like what I've heard. I like what I've heard so far from Nashville. So I'm excited to see. They're definitely a team I'm really excited to see uh, this year. There's some teams on my list, and uh, I'm sure we can highlight those in the preview uh, session that we have that Friday when it gets all kicked off. But uh, they're definitely one of them. Guess what? What? We're previewing Philadelphia Union next. That's my team. And uh, just a little plug here. We're going to have on friend of the show. He was one of our first guests back when it was just me. He's our first friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rich was on first show and then That's it true. was, then it was Todd. And then That's I think true. it was you, but uh, we had Todd on. He talked about the supporter shield with me before the union won it. Uh, uh, if you remember those episodes, it was a little 
uh, probably like a few episodes into that 16 solo run I did. And uh, he's from the Free Kick Pod. And we're going to have him on. Uh, I can't wait to talk to Todd again. So we're going to go get ready for that because behind the scenes, we're doing these back to back. But that will release on Wednesday. You're listening to this on Monday. If you, well, you know, technically you can listen to this whenever, but we're <laughs> releasing it on Monday. <laughs> and then on Wednesday will be Todd Lewis from the Free Kick Pod previewing the Philadelphia Union Supporter Shield winners of 2020 and looking ahead at their CCL run where they will be the first MLS team to win CONCACAF Champions League. <laughs> I'll get off of it. Hang it up. I'm teasing Logan here because it's not going to happen. Up. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get off of here. If you want to follow the show, you can get on Stateside Show on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram, Facebook.com slash, you guessed it, Stateside Show, or email at statesideshow at gmail.com. And have a great week. But we will see you Wednesday, hopefully. Please listen. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stop It's Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.